0: Welcome to Wild West Podcast, where fact and legend merge. The Wild West Podcast presents the true accounts of individuals who settled in a town built out of hunger for money, regulated by fast guns who walked on both sides of the law, patrolling, investing in, and regulating the brothels, saloons, and gambling houses. These are the stories of the men who made the history of the Old West come alive, bringing with them the birth of legends brought to order by a six gun and laid to rest with their boots on. Join us now as we take you back in history to the legends of the Wild West. Every resident of Mobity was the acquaintance, if not the friend, of every other resident of this small settlement by an impression of citizenship common to both, and Sergeant King was well known. The townspeople were shocked to learn that Corporal Melvin King had returned. Many of the townspeople despised him and confessed to no love for King. Rumor had it that King had been run out of Abilene, as the upshot of an enterprise wherein he combined a six-shooter with a deck of cards. The cards were improperly marked, resulting in the death of a gentleman who played draw poker against King. All knew King as a creature that was most detested among the soldiers. King was a blusterer and a bully, and when a bit unbuckled by too much rum, he would boast of the blood he had spilled. The thought of King's return made the settlement all weary of what might happen in the evenings to come. I, on the other hand, spent less of my worries on Corporal Melvin King. And much of my attention on Molly Brennan. I visited with Molly from time to time after she would get off work from Charlie Norton's place. I found great pleasure in her company and would greet her after long nights dealing at the faro table. I caught frequent glimpses of her in town, and we would at times eat breakfast together at the Santa Ana restaurant. I had grown fond of the flapjacks in this place, and Molly laughed at my stories on how I pulled off certain practical jokes. While hunting buffalo in the Texas Panhandle. I cannot deny I was attracted to her, although I did not want her to think that I was reliable. I still had adventure in my blood and knew that soon we would have to part our ways. It was on the cold, brisk Friday morning of January 21st, 1876, when Corporal King and a few soldiers rode in from Fort Elliott. Molly and I had just departed the Santa Ana restaurant and decided to take a short stroll along the boardwalk before returning to work. King and the five other soldiers hitched their horses in front of Charlie Norton's place. Molly froze at the sight of King entering Norton's saloon. Can we stop right here? Molly requested. I cannot go any further. Molly reached her hand out to mine, then looked away, clenching and unclenching her hands into fists. I snickered but found no easiness about her sudden change in mannerism. She seemed fearful of seeing the soldiers enter Norton's place. It's him, she hesitated. It's Corporal King. Molly desperately tried to hide how fearful she was. Every time he enters the saloon, there is no mercy on the guest. He knows and understands my bitterness toward him. He has been warned on many occasions to stay his distance from me, "'Yet I can feel his black eyes burn into my soul "'with a hungry fire half-hidden from others. "'I can sense his desires for me bursting into flame.' "'Molly was hesitant and had difficulty "'in controlling the tremor in her voice. "'He makes no secret of those sentiments "'that sweep down on him with his fellow comrades. "'When he is around, I can feel his glances "'play about me like a tongue of fire.' "'I agreed to walk Molly the distance to Norton's saloon.' When Molly and I entered through the front door, a sizable pot-bellied stove in the center of the room gave off a remnant of smoke. Through the haze of smoke, I caught a glimpse of King lounging next to the doorway, looking through the window. He turned and stared at me. I could feel King's hatred. The knowledge of the sight of me shone upon him with a red hatefulness that was a ray from the pits of hell. His evil presence buzzed around me like a fly I could not swat. But in his eyes I saw something else. It was like he told himself he knew he'd have to make me pay, for his pain grew darker by the moment. I extended my left arm to get Molly out of harm's way. I slowly moved my right hand to the handle of my Colt 45 revolver, when out of nowhere a voice echoed out of the shadows. Damned if it's not my good friend, Masterson!' Keeping my eyes on King. The tension in the room lifted with the voice of Billy Dixon coming from the dark corner of the room. I could hear Billy's laughter as he approached me. "'Good day, Mr. Masterson,' he stated in a jovial manner. "'It looks like you're in the middle of making a new friend with us here Corporal King,' he said. Billy then looked directly at Corporal King. "'You do not mind if I take my friend away from your conversation to join my six friends over at the bar, do you?' inquired Dixon." Billy and I pulled up to an open space at the bar. We both ordered coffee as we knew we had to keep our wits in good order. Billy leaned forward. That man is like an icicle, Billy whispered. You must have touched a jealous spur with him. You have aroused in him a mindless fury that's like the blind anger of an animal. I shook my head, agreed with Billy's assessment, and continued to listen. I can see that his vanity was aroused to the edge by you and Molly's presence, and within him he is feeling the sense of loss that sharpens him for retaliation. Billy held up his index finger and tapped it on the bar several times and stated, You better watch your back, Masterson, or he will someday try to kill you when you're not aware. Dixon turned to me and looked directly into my eyes and said with sincerity, I have seen men like this go to the farthest end of contentment. "'especially when they feel in the rough. "'These are the type of men who have been reared in blood "'and make their reprisal with the death of a man. "'It's well worth their time to see death and vengeance set aside "'for the evil intent to seek self-justice. "'In King's mind, you are his enemy, and you must die. "'You should end this soon, Masterson, for he's plotting against you. "'Take him, or he will take you.' "'Within seconds of Billy's last words to me, "'King shouted across the room. There's a hoss thief here in this room. It was in King's words that I knew he was talking about me. Billy was right. He wanted to pick a fight with me. King understood the rules of gunplay, and if he called me out and I welcomed the call, he could shoot me with no recourse. I thought to myself, the rules to govern Western gunplay do not permit the shooting of one's enemy in the back. It is one's notifying duty to arouse him. Once he is on his guard and reaching for his artillery, one is licensed to begin his downfall. A violation of these laws leads to a vigilance committee, a rope, and a nearest tree. Then came the second call from King. There's a horse thief in here I'd like to kill. His word kill alerted me, but most of all being called a horse thief boiled anger deep in my system. The anger churned within, hungry for destruction, and I knew in a split second it was too much for me to handle. I sprang from the bar stool and was instantly upon my threat. I kicked King's chair from beneath him and aroused him to his feet. I allowed the darkness I felt swallow me whole for a split second, but now I was steady with my emotions. "'I reckon I'm the horse thief you refer to,' I said. My six-shooter was pointed squarely at the plotting head of Corporal King. The hammer of the colt, fully cocked, pointed into King's open mouth. I saw in his eyes the reflection of the grey fire of my own eyes, as King had frozen all his motions to me. "'Do you feel the clutch of the grave upon you?' I shouted. I could feel the pause within the room, a tomb of silence so surreal that I could hear every heartbeat but mine, for I had grown cold while the room was strung out in tension." The tenseness in the room felt like a bow waiting for me to pull the trigger on what would be the fatal crash. My senses now registered the four seconds that went ticking into the past. It felt as if the passing of ages. My advance on the accuser was so quickly stunning that I now held my pistol within an inch of King's transfixed face. Then, with no hesitation, I struck King on the head with such a crushing blow, I could hear his skull crack beneath my barrel. King dropped like a log of wood, his pistol falling from his fingers and rattling onto the boarded floor. I replaced my weapon in the belted holster and kicked King's gun into a nook of safety. I looked around the room and all was back to normal business as King laid unconscious to the world around him. It was during those four seconds in time that Billy Dixon and the boys held back the soldiers. Once King recovered, Billy gave King and his men a friendly escort out the front door, while I attended to the frightened company of Molly Brennan. I heard Billy give his advice to the departing Corporal King and his men. It's the notion of Moe Beatty, you'd better pull your freight. Here's your gun, there's your hoss, and if you've got a licky savvy by noon tomorrow, you'll be either in Tuscosa, Fort Elliott, or Fort Sill. Any one of them's a heap healthier than Moe Beatty, which, for you at least, might be described as a mighty sickly camp. Corporal King rode off to the west. As he disappeared where the trail led over a low hill, Mr. Dixon nodded a foreboding head. Billy returned to the bar and sat next to Molly and I. He pointedly said, Masterson, you ought to have downed him. The incident is over, I said with frank accord. I raised my glass and called for a toast. To Employment of the Panhandle Method. Billy had the final word. Yes, but if you would have used the Colt 45 method and emptied it into the head or the heart of Corporal King, Mobiti would have celebrated by taking the rest of the day off. From the author of A Sportsman's Paradise brings you the story of Bartholomew and the Fair Maiden. A true and tragic love story between Bat Masterson and Molly Brennan. A story once read will be everlasting in one's memory of a courageous act of one sacrifice in the name of love. For the price of two iTunes songs, you can read and listen to the tragic ending that falls upon the courage of love over life. When you purchase the iBook, you will not only receive the complete rendition of Bartholomew and the Fair Maiden, but The Gunfight at the Plaza. Those who purchase this over 100-page, fully illustrated iBook now will receive a future update on the story... Boardwalks from Hell The Killing of Ed Masterson at the original sale price of two hundred ninety nine. It was nine on a moonless night on january twenty fourth, eighteen seventy six, when I walked down the boardwalk of the small settlement of Mobiti. The most part of its citizens were gathered in the general store, bar, or what other emporia best attracted their favor. There were no street lamps, and the streets were almost deserted since no one cared to risk a shin to blunder and stumble in the dark. It was a big night for the Lady Gay. A celebration of sorts had been proclaimed, and Charlie Norton had closed his saloon to honor the tides of custom. He wanted to support the occasion in rising to an unusual height. When I entered the saloon, there was a busy dozen about the faro table, which stood in the end of the bar, and an equal number bent noisily over Monty. At the monte table, I noticed the diversion of a careworn Mexican who looked as though luck had run against him. In the far end, a poker game prevailed. My job was to run the faro table for the evening, and I took my place shortly after nine. I looked over at one of the tables and observed a somber king who seemed to be brooding over a bottle of rum. He looked back at me, seeing a twitch of cynic humor in his sinister depths as he half curled his lips with a smile. The Mexican lost his last peso at Monte and drew out of the eager fringe about the table. Corporal King called him with a motion of his hand. The Mexican approached, received the whispered directions, took the gold piece tendered, and disappeared. By the time Corporal King had taken another drink, the Mexican had led his pony, saddled and bridled, to the door of the Lady Gay and stood holding it by the bits. It was then I thought to myself that Corporal King was opening the gate for a final flight. I called Ben Thompson to take over the faro table and told him I had to keep an eye on a possible situation. I nodded in the direction of Corporal King, who at that time gulped down the more significant portion of rum remaining in his bottle. Thompson agreed and I moved over to the gambling table. I took my position next to a small door and sat in with Henry Fleming and Jim Duffy. I asked Jim if he had seen Molly. Jim told me she was attending to Mr. Kimball's wife, a Mexican woman who had grown ill. I looked back to the table where King was sitting. The table was empty. The evening grew late, and the lady gaze started to close. It was at this time when Molly appeared. She walked up to the table where I was sitting and said, Did you want to see me? Corporal King said you wanted to see me. I don't understand, I said. It was in this instance I heard another voice, the voice of Corporal King. That's what she said, Masterson. But I believe tonight you're gonna need an undertaker. I looked over in the direction of the side door where I had been sitting and saw King. He was running through the side door, drawing his pistol from his holster. Next came a flash and a roar. King advanced on me so quickly that I did not have time to react. His pistol was instantly pressed against my side. I felt the lead tear through my body. The pain seared through my hip like a branding iron. My mind conceded to the torment and I was unable to bring a thought to completion. My legs turned to jelly. I could barely see for the shock of pain overwhelmed me. I reached for my holster and drew my gun and fired. I heard a second shot at the time my revolver discharged. I saw Molly fall in front of me. When she had cleared hitting the floor hard I could see King falling backward. I heard him hit the floor. I grabbed the doorframe, bracing me from a fall. I looked at downed King lying on the floor. I pulled the hammer back on my pistol and pointed in the direction of King. I was ready to discharge the second round when I heard King take his last breath. My shot hit him through the heart as blood poured out from his chest and out of his mouth. I staggered for a few seconds more, clinging to the doorframe and waving my pistol in his direction. I then fell to my knees in unbelief. Molly had saved me from the second shot. She laid before me, uttering in a cry of horror. She was still clutching the murderous pistol and had driven King's revolver into her bosom. Molly had taken the second bullet for me. I raised Molly into my arms to comfort her. She opened her blue eyes, swimming with love. She said, ''You wanted me,'' whispered the fair maiden. I looked into the soft depths of her closing eyes and saw the love, and I knew it was for me. Even as I gazed upon her face, the warm lights failed and faded, and in my arms my fair maiden lay dead.